greetings to all our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. Welcome to all our guests here today. Uh, thank you, Colin Winnale, for that uh, beautiful music. Uh, it gives us a, a warm feeling in this cold time of year. Uh, spring was the piano solo. I think there's a scripture that says something about that. Without uh, vision, the people stay cold. But anyway, thank you very much for that. Uh, we also send you greetings from our brethren in Ashboro, North Carolina, where my wife and I were last Sabbath, uh, was one of their last Sabbaths in Ashboro because the majority of our Ashboro brethren live in Greensboro. So starting the Sabbath of January 3rd, they will be meeting in Greensboro, North Carolina. So that's exciting. Uh, we'll have a Tomorrow's World presentation there in Greensboro, March 22nd, 2015. So be sure to be praying for the newly established congregation and new people that may be called during that Tomorrow's World presentation. Dr. Meredith's semiannual letter is uh, producing an excellent response. As of yesterday, we received 18,848 responses requesting the DVD, The Mission of God's Work. Uh, that was the behind-the-work video you all saw at the feast this year. It was titled The Philadelphian Mission. And, of course, you will all be sent a copy automatically without requesting it. In fact, the card you received said, please do not mail this card in. And so our record information services has dozens of those cards that have been mailed in that say, do not mail these in. Uh, one of the lessons we need to learn is to follow instructions in life. Hopefully we can do that. Many of those responding to the semi-annual letter will become donors and co-workers. So please continue to pray for more laborers in the harvest, as Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 9, verses 37 and 38. In the past 6,000 years of recorded history, God has been giving mankind an opportunity to learn lasting lessons of life. We ourselves have had to learn sometimes painful lessons that we won't want to ever repeat. Some mistakes have been very painful, uh, maybe from alcohol abuse or drug abuse or some other sinful habit. If you've deeply learned some of these lessons, if you've repented, you've accepted Christ's sacrifice for your sins, you've been baptized, forgiven, and you began to walk in newness of life because you learned the lessons of the past and didn't want to repeat them. Perhaps some of the past mistakes you've made have been embarrassing, and they brought about shame upon you and on your family. But did you learn any lessons from your past life, and even recently, that have contributed to lasting, eternal, godly character? Perhaps you've learned lessons of life more profoundly than the millions and billions of people around the world who are still learning lessons in blood and in suffering. The Apostle Paul discusses the conduct of Jews and Greeks in Romans, the third chapter. If you'll turn there to Romans 3, he's discussing that both Jews and Greeks are guilty. All have sinned and come under under the uh, that is if not worthy of the glory of God and fall short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3, verse 23. But in Romans 3 and verse 9, he writes, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. Talking about Jews and Greeks. 
For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb, and their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. They haven't learned the lessons. There is no fear before, no fear of God before their eyes. Hopefully we individually have learned that lesson, but even when the Apostle Paul wrote this epistle to the Romans, history had proven time and time again that human beings are vicious, destructive, murderous, and they have not chosen the fear of God before their eyes. They have not learned the lessons of history. But we should have learned lessons in our individual lives, and hopefully we have learned from our mistakes although human beings have not learned in general the lessons of history. I think you all know the famous quote by George Santayana, a Spanish-born American philosopher, poet, and humanist. He stated, Those who cannot learn the lesson from history are doomed to repeat it. Those who cannot learn from history are doomed to repeat it. My wife and I and about 40 ambassador students saw that sign at the entrance of the Dachau concentration camp outside Munich, Germany. Uh, We were on our pre-European tour on our way to the Jerusalem dig in 1984. And that sign certainly was significant in that entrance to the concentration camp. And as we all know, the Holocaust was horrendous, but that will pale in comparison to the great tribulation that is coming. Truly, humans are not learning the lessons of history. In his book, Mystery of the Ages, Mr. Herbert Armstrong gave this overview of human history. Quote, God had designed a 7,000-year master plan for accomplishing his tremendous purpose. The first 6,000 years were were allotted to allow Satan to remain on earth's throne and for humanity to learn the bitter lesson through experience, that Satan's way of self-centeredness in opposition to God's law leads only to pain, suffering, anguish, and death. The whole world of humankind has been deceived into preferring this getting, self-centered way of life. That's from page 144. Are we personally learning the lessons of history, and are we learning from our own personal history? The title of the sermon today is L-L-L-O-L, Learning Lasting Lessons of Life. Learning Lasting Lessons of Life. Brethren, God has called us to learn lessons that add to our godly character. He instructed us through the Apostle Peter. You want to turn there. It's in a memorization verse. You all know it. 2 Peter 3, verse 18. 2 Peter 3, verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. No, we want to have that grace and humility, as we heard about in the sermonette. 
To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. We can never stop learning the lessons of life. We can never stop growing. And if we're learning day by day, we'll be growing in the godly character that God wants in all of us. But what valuable lessons have you learned in life? What valuable lessons have you learned in life that contribute to your godly character that will last for eternity? Now, there are certain painful lessons. I maybe share a couple of those with you in my personal experience. It was uh, rather a significant uh, lesson for me. We were on the ambassador uh, trip to Sacramento, California. It was my freshman year. I was in the ambassador corral, and we uh, had performed special music for Sabbath services in Sacramento, California that afternoon, and then after sunset, the pastor, oh, actually, not the pastor, but a minister, well, I think the pastor may have been with us too, uh, took me out and a couple other older students uh, out to a bar, and we had some libations. We had some drinks. And we came back to uh, Sabbath services, and they had a covered dish meal. And being a young, voracious uh, man with appetite, I, uh, I indulged quite a bit. And then after that, we had a dance, and uh, I was jitterbugging around, and you can imagine that all this food and beverage was being mixed up in my stomach, and you know the results. I was just very, almost deathly ill, very, very sick. Uh, we stayed in one of the church members' homes, but the minister came over and anointed me, and I was so sick, but I, I remember vividly, to this day, thinking of the pain that I was experiencing, that Jesus Christ had experienced that pain for me. And it was a deep, long-lasting lesson for me that Christ had paid the penalty for me. And I had sinned, and I need to be forgiven. And I hope that lesson had lasted and still lasts to this day. So in today's sermon, we'll discuss some of the painful lessons of history, and we'll see some biblical examples of those who should have learned the lessons of life but did not. We'll discuss strategies for learning from our own mistakes, the best ways to learn the lessons of life, and the kind of knowledge God wants us to learn. And I hope that we'll also appreciate the awesome love that God has and the purpose and plan for human beings when he does allow suffering in the world. And we'll focus on significant keys for learning lasting lessons of life. First of all, to learn lasting lessons of life, we need to learn from our own mistakes. I mentioned the painful lesson in Sacramento, California. Well, you know, young men still need to learn many lessons, and so I had a 51 Chevy uh, driving for my senior year up to Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute from my home in Meriden, Connecticut to Troy, New York, probably about a two-and-a-half-hour drive, but I was trying to set a new time record with my 51 Chevy. And so I was really pushing the speed, and uh, it was rather wet and rainy. The roads were rather slick. I went around a curve and spun out, and here was this big milk truck coming in the opposite direction, and I spun around and crashed into the oncoming milk truck. The uh, policeman cited me for 
failure to grant the right of way to the milk truck. So anyway, we uh, did appear in court. I did appear in court sometimes later and and uh, was fined $9 for a failure to grant the right of way to the milk truck. But the problem was that one of the tires was rather bald. And so because of that bald tire, I spun out and had the accident. So I should have learned a lesson from that, that you need, if you're going to speed, you need good tires. No, that was the right <laughs> lesson. <laughs> no, you, you need to be careful all the time of your life. And I pray every day, and I know you do, uh, traffic around Charlotte and around the uh, surrounding areas, you pray for God's protection. Well, that was one of the lessons I learned. Then the other lesson that got me onto this whole matter of learning lessons and writing it down in my little week at a glance was the matter back in, when was it? We were down in uh, Houston, I guess it was, in 1996, and uh, we had a lease car. It was a Taurus, a Ford Taurus. And the trunk lid did not have a spring enough so that the trunk lid would go up high enough. So every time I tried to put the briefcase into the trunk lid, uh, into the trunk, the lid would come up partway and I would bump my head on the trunk lid. And this repeatedly happened and after a while I began to wake up. Don't bump your head on the Taurus trunk lid. It, it, It had to sink in. So I finally wrote it down. Don't bump your head on the Taurus trunk lid. Some of us are thick-headed, and we have to repeat lessons over and over again until we learn the lesson the hard way. But I started writing down those lessons. You might turn to 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, 1 Corinthians 10. God says he wants us to learn lessons of life. I'm learning some of those from the hard way. But I've written down, I know some of my, write down some of my lessons here in my week at a glance book. This is... uh, 14-17, Review Lessons of 2013. There's another lesson, uh, 14-12, Be Cool at All Times. Well, of course, there's a time to laugh and a time to cry and so forth, but I was trying to remind myself not to get anxious overly when I shouldn't get anxious. And then here's one for... Those who are over age 35, you tend to forget things. Lesson 1404, write it down. So I hope that you're learning lessons of life that are are lasting. Here in 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, verse 11, after he talks about all of the sins of the Israelites and how they died, 23,000 died in one day, verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 10, he says, uh, don't tempt Christ as some of them tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Verse 10, nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Verse 11, now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our warning, our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So we need to learn the lessons of life. We saw the lesson in the sermonette of King Herod. Have we all learned the lesson of humility? Herod had great vanity, and we need to make sure that we don't let vanity get in the way and cause us to learn problems the wrong way. Sometimes we learn from our mistakes, and we 
oftentimes, sometimes in our families have minor crises. Sometimes we, the parents don't have the children ready or ready to go to Sabbath services, and oh, where's the children's clothing? Where's the dad forgets? Where's the car keys? And mom says, oh, I don't have the food ready for the snacks for the fellowship room yet. And there's a, a crisis getting ready for for Sabbath services. How do you deal with those crises or any kind of a crisis? You know, the famous management consultant, Peter F. Drucker, wrote in his book, The Effective Executive, quote, a crisis that recurs a second time is a crisis that must not occur again. A recurrent crisis should always have been foreseen. It can therefore either be prevented or reduced to a routine which clerks can manage. The definition of a routine is that it makes unskilled people without judgment capable of doing with it what it took near genius to do before. For a routine puts down in systematic step-by-step form what a very able man learned in surmounting yesterday's crisis. The recurrent crisis, excuse me, the recurrent crisis is not confined to the lowest levels of organization. It afflicts everyone. That's page 41 of the effective executive. So we must learn from our crises and make sure that it doesn't happen a second time if that's possible. On page 42, Peter Drucker writes, the recurrent crisis is simply a symptom of slovenliness, slovenliness, and laziness. <clears throat> so what is the solution? Well, in the Sabbath crisis, for example, you prepare the day before. You have your Bibles placed near the door of the house. The children's clothes are selected the night before, and you prepare the day before. We have an article by Mr. Dexter Wakefield in the Living Church News, November, December 2011, Make the Most of Preparation Day. We need to learn from our own mistakes. Mr. League reported that uh, last Sunday's Charlotte Spokesman Club was very successful. He commented on it in the announcements. About 28 in attendance. One of the table topics questions for topics was, quote, what is an important lesson you've learned in your life that has helped you to develop godly character? I thank you for, uh, Mr. Brinson sent me quite a few that uh, you spokesmen responded to uh, by email, although uh, you uh, responded, of course, orally during the club. One of the comments came in response to that question. What important lesson have you learned? Quote, keep my mouth shut. Listen more. Learn lessons the easy way by heeding instructions in advance in the Bible and the lessons learned by others the hard way. So a very good comment. You want to learn the easy way, not the hard way. And of course, the ancient nation of Israel learned the hard way. If you turn to Hebrews, the third chapter, <clears throat> Hebrews 3, actually chapters 3 and 4 of Hebrews give a chronicle of 
Israel's hardness of heart and their rebellion, their disobedience, their disbelief. Hebrews, the third chapter, and uh, verse 7, after he rehearses quite a few of these mistakes. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, They do always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, They shall not enter my rest. So they had hardness of heart. Sometimes our brethren in the church have hardness of heart or are not teachable or not responding to the teaching. The Apostle Paul had to handle such a situation in 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. You're familiar with that because we rehearse it, but 1 Corinthians 5, the church there was not learning the lessons it should, so the Apostle Paul had to give the church strong correction, and he did through this first epistle, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 4. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. This sounds very, very harsh, doesn't it? Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So the church does apply discipline. And was that the correct thing for the Apostle Paul to do? We have some churches of God that are so tolerant as was the Corinthian church to allow practicing sinners to continue to practice their sin. And that's wrong. We do not allow practicing sinners to continue practicing. We want them to learn the lesson. Just as the Apostle Paul wanted this man to learn the lesson. And he did learn the lesson. Because in 2 Corinthians, the 7th chapter, the Apostle Paul is telling the church to welcome him back because we know the devices of Satan. So there are times when the church exercises discipline for the benefit of the members of the church, and we need to be willing to take correction. Second Timothy, the third chapter, you're familiar with that. <clears throat> I say you're familiar with it. You're familiar with the whole Bible. Second Timothy, the third chapter. Second Timothy, and realize just how powerful the Word of God is, the mind of God, the Scriptures of God. Second Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine or teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So we have to learn from our mistakes and say, well, what do I need to do differently? What can I do to avoid making the same mistakes the next time? Alvin Toffler, author of Future Shock, stated this, 
the illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read and write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. The illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read and write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. End of quote. Mr. Herbert Armstrong has written in The Mystery of the Ages in the author's statement, quote, I have often said it is much more difficult to unlearn an erroneous supposed truth than it is to learn a new truth, end of quote. So, brethren, we need a teachable attitude. We need to admit our mistakes. We need to take responsibility for our actions. We need to analyze cause and effect. What can I do differently if the circumstances allowed me to do something differently? We need to set goals for overcoming, and we need to make commitments. January 1st of this year, worldly people will make New Year's resolutions. We normally set goals and make commitments, maybe at the beginning of the year, but primarily around the days of unleavened bread when we have examined ourselves and Take the Passover. Calvin and Hobbes were discussing the matter of making resolutions. Calvin, of course, is the precocious little boy, and Hobbes is the uh, discreet tiger. They're walking in the snow. And so Hobbes the tiger asked Calvin, Did you make any resolutions for the year? Calvin says, Heck no. I'm fine just the way I am. Why should I change? In fact, I think it's high time the world started changing to suit me. I don't see why I should do all the changing around here. If the new year requires resolutions, I say it's up to everyone else, not me. I don't need to improve. Everyone else does. And so Calvin asked uh, Hobbes, how about you? Did you make any resolutions? And Hobbes rolls his eyes and says, Well, I had resolved to be less offended by human nature, but I think I blew it already. (laughs) But that is so typical of the world's way of doing things. The world needs to change to my ways. I don't need to make any changes in life. But brethren, God wants us to continually change, and we need to make commitments so that we're dedicated. I know I'm, well, I shouldn't share this maybe, but I'm, I'm working on a weight loss program, and I thought, well, I've, I've done this before, but I've not made progress. Why not? Because I wasn't really committed. So now I've set goals and milestones that I have to meet uh, from week to week. So you say, well, I'm trying. Well, yes, there is that famous statement, uh, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Well, that may have some practical application. But if you're really trying to change, you need to make a commitment, which means you're dedicated. You are solidly dedicated to make those changes or to achieve those goals or those milestones on the way to the goal. It's dedication, devotion, allegiance, loyalty, faithfulness, Fidelity are synonyms of the word commitment. But what lessons have you learned to help you develop godly character? It's another comment from the Spokesman Club. 
One important lesson my wife and I have learned is to be sensitive to God's will and not to push our own will over His. To know what His will is always better, and that He does not just have our interest in mind, but that of His church, His work, and His overall plan, and that He knows the big picture much more than myself. This includes knowing that my way is not, somehow, some way, better than His. This also includes asking Him to open and close doors in our lives so that the result will better fulfill our calling and accomplish His work. Knowing whether life is up or life is down, He is in charge, and He is allowing to happen what is best for His work and overall plan. My turn to Philippians, the fourth chapter, Philippians 4. So, brethren, I hope you've learned an important lesson in life, multiple lessons. You don't try to push your will over God's will. You don't harden your heart as the ancient Israelites did, but you're willing to take correction in a positive way. Do you really learn lasting lessons from your mistakes? Or do you keep repeating the same ones like I did when I kept hitting my head on the Taurus trunk lid. We have to learn from our mistakes. So write down some of the lessons you've learned. What have you learned? The Apostle Paul wrote down one of the important lessons of his life he learned in Philippians, the fourth chapter. Still not there. Philippians 4, starting with verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. Now, he was in prison. You read that in chapter 1 and I think verse 6 or 7, that he's in prison. And yet he's learned this very significant lesson of life. And some of us have yet to learn that lesson. I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. And he was in prison. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned, what did he learn? Both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But what lessons have you learned? I was uh, walking through my home library yesterday, and I saw a record book, a journal that kind of stuck out, and I thought, I wonder if that has some lessons uh, that I had written down from the baptizing tour 50 years ago. Yesterday I heard on the radio about a teacher who had assigned his students to write a letter to themselves 20 years in the future. And now it had come up to the 20 years, and he still had their letters and was trying to locate his former students and to send those letters to him. It's rather provocative. What would you write? If you were to write down a letter to yourself right now, 20 years in advance, uh, what would you write down to yourself? Well, there's that old pop song, I'm going to sit right down and write myself a letter. Uh, that's, those of us in the 50s know that one. But I, I found my record book about the baptizing tour. It actually has a sermon here by 
Mr. Roderick C. Meredith, pray for baptizing tours, May 30th, uh, 1964. And I wrote down after the baptizing tour some of the lessons that I had learned that I found that were helpful to me. If I can find it. I could give a little summary here that uh, we had scheduled to meet 222 people on the baptizing tour in the southeast, which uh, covered the Carolinas, down in Georgia, uh, Louisiana, Mississippi, uh, Tennessee, uh, Virginia, parts of Florida, uh, Alabama. So uh, we had scheduled to meet 222. We met 158. 56 were baptized. This was a rather short baptizing tour compared to the ones uh, normally because I was going to get back and get married on August 12th. So we had traveled 6,333 miles. So uh, probably a sign following about seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Anyway, this is uh, what I wrote. And I actually brought tears to my eyes when I was reading this this morning. Uh, Just an excerpt from it I'll read. God's work continues to be inspiring, challenging, and rewarding. Reflecting back on the eight weeks and two days since flying from Pasadena to Grand Rapids, Michigan, Mr. Frank McCready was the uh, leader of the baptizing tour, I can see God's mercy and love in dealing with those whom he is calling and using in contrast to the effects of human nature, society, and Satan. Who can be as blessed as I to understand the simple, powerful truth of God, to learn to recapture true values which bring happiness, to be sobered by the evil and degeneration of man in his almost 6,000 years of experimentations, to see the last few years of man's rule, and to look forward to giving abundant life to others under God's rule, to at this time look forward to marriage to become one with the most lovable, beautiful, sweet woman converted on earth, just as Christ is now looking forward to his marriage, to work together as being heirs together of the grace of life and the responsibilities of serving Christ's disciples at his college and learning at his headquarters on earth. Who can be as blessed? I wrote down uh, other lessons, uh, numbered actually, uh, one through eight. I won't read all of those lessons, but I'll share a couple of those. On June 21, 1964, Sunday afternoon, 3 p.m., Mr. McCready and I left Mr. Keeley's farm and the church picnic for the 6,333-mile five-week baptizing tour. What were some of the major lessons learned and factors observed? One, God's guidance and protection. The prayers of many were answered. Three, the seriousness of checking and double-checking. Eternal salvation is at stake. I had wrongly dated an appointment June instead of July. Four, the reality of broken laws and the results in human lives, divorce and remarriage, smoking, poverty. Five, attitudes. From the man who thought a cup of coffee was more important than salvation. 
to the woman who is willing to be kicked out of her home, beaten by her husband, in order to be baptized. The absolute lack of zeal and the pervading lethargy that permeates this country. Those met on the tours and many in the church. I need to take heed to be vigilant, sober, zealous, to go all the way producing much fruit. Well, I'll give you a couple more here. Number seven, the need for more laborers to go into the harvest. Members who have have members who have been visited have not been visited, uh, nor have gone to the feast since they were baptized seven years ago. Eight, the need for God's kingdom to come. All the previous points comprise this one: the deception of Satan and man's human nature combined to produce pain, sickness, and unhappiness and death. How much we need to apply ourselves so that we can teach God's way to the whole earth and administer with Christ God's government, which does bring life through His Spirit. Well, that was written 50 years ago. And I hope that some of you are writing down lessons that you can remember, that can inspire you perhaps 10, 20, 30, 40, or 50 years later. So I hope we are learning from our mistakes and learning how not to repeat those mistakes. How else do we learn lasting lessons of life? Let's turn to Romans, the fifth chapter, Romans 5. Sometimes we learn through suffering. The Apostle Paul shows that process here in Romans 5, starting with verse 3. Talking about faith and grace by which we stand. Verse 3, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. So that is the process that God gives us, that we are to be learning character. And he goes on to say, For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone else would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So we have that promise, but we have to do our part. And when we suffer, we learn perseverance, we learn patience, we learn endurance. When Dr. Meredith had his stroke six years ago, I believe it was, he said, I want to learn all the lessons I can learn. He still has a burden to bear, but that was his reaction. Sometimes we suffer from persecution. I turn back to Matthew, the fifth chapter, Matthew 5. Sometimes we suffer because of our own fault. Sometimes it's because of persecution. Matthew 5, verse 10. 
You know the beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. They're going to be given a great blessing, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Seven of our brethren in Milwaukee were attacked and killed in Sabbath services March 12, 2005. Four others were wounded. One of our church members, Tom Geiger, wrote a book on the tragedy, uh, Martyrdom in Milwaukee. And Dr. Meredith gave a sermon on that subject, sermon number 323, Lessons from the Milwaukee Tragedy. So this coming year, March 12, 2015, will be the 10th anniversary of that tragedy. We remember and we mourn our brothers and sisters in Christ who were killed, but we are comforted by the truth of the resurrection. And, of course, it tells us in 2 Corinthians 1 that God is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. I hope you saw Dr. Meredith's telecast, of course, having lost his wife a year ago uh, to cancer. And the telecast was on just a few weeks ago, November 16, 2014, The Power of the Resurrection. So we are comforted on God's overall plan. Let's turn to James, the first chapter. Yes, we learn from suffering. Sometimes we learn because it's our own fault. And we try to learn not to repeat the same mistake. James, the first chapter, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. It isn't joyous, but you count it joy because you know there's a long-term benefit if you have the right attitude in enduring the trial. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, some people say, why am I going through this trial? Well, you need to analyze if you were part of the cause, a causal factor of that trial, or maybe you weren't, but what do you need to learn from that? You learn patience and you learn faith that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So we need to learn lessons from our pain and suffering. Turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. We have, uh, Several other resources for learning from our lessons. I'll just quickly mention uh, sermon number 124 by Mr. Bruce Tyler, Lessons from Queen Esther. Uh, sermon number 302, Lessons from Paul by Mr. John O'Gwyn. Uh, lessons uh, from the Milwaukee Tragedy, Dr. Meredith, number 323. Uh, sermon number 407, Lessons from Revelation, chapters 2 and 3. Uh, Dr. Douglas Winnale. Uh, my old uh, sermon, Learning Lessons, number 418. And then uh, Rod McNair, End Time Lessons of Jeremiah, uh, number 521. Number 548, Prophecy and History, Learning the Lessons by Dr. Winnale. Another lesson that he gave, uh, 677 Lessons from America's Apostasy by Dr. Winnale. And number 841, Scriptural Lessons on Grandparenting by Ken Frank. 
So we all need to keep learning to continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. Psalm 119, verse 67, gives us an object lesson. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Patriarch David, King David, learned some lessons. It changed his life, and now he's keeping God's word. Verse 68, Psalm 119, You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep your precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. Have you learned any lessons from your affliction or your pain or suffering? That I may learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. He said, it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. In the May-June 2012 Living Church News, uh, Dr. Meredith wrote uh, in his personal, Prepare for Pentecost, referring to the Holy Spirit, As his Holy Spirit convicts you and me, let us each be humbly willing to let God's Spirit guide us into all truth and into a more full understanding of our own nature and the lessons we need to learn. For our Father in Heaven is indeed fashioning and preparing us for eternal life in His family. Let us take it in this way. Even when correction may come from ministers or others in a way that may sometimes seem to be given imperfectly, perhaps not always in perfect love and humility from the giver, we should still make it our goal to learn the lesson. And I know sometimes when maybe a critic is criticizing, you say, well, uh, I, that critic is just criticizing me because he's a critic. But on the other hand, you still listen to see if there's any valid criticism that will help you to change from something you're doing wrong. And Dr. Meredith will listen. He will read the writings of critics so that we can learn. If we're doing something wrong, we want to change and we can grow. We should still make it our goal to learn a lesson. It continues. We should not let an imperfect teacher keep us from learning the lessons our Father in Heaven wants us to learn. We should strive with all our being to learn every lesson so we can become full sons of the great God who has made us in His image, the God who gives us the sunshine and the rain, the food we eat, the clothes we wear, and the air we breathe. For God truly loves us and gives us loving correction to teach lessons that are meant to last for all eternity. Let us strive with all our being to learn those lessons. And that's from the May-June Living Church News Personal uh, 2012. Turn to Hebrews, the fifth chapter, Hebrews 5. Are we learning from our pain and our suffering? Hebrews, the fifth chapter. Even Jesus Christ learned from suffering. Hebrews, the fifth chapter. My Bible's falling apart here. I need to get it rebound. Hebrews 5, verse 5. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest. He had that humility. 
But it was he who had said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Verse 7, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. You know, that's one of the characteristics that should be a part of your eternal godly character, that you fear God. Can you say that is a part of your internalized character, that you fear God? And was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, verse 8, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. He learned what it's like to be a human being. And yet he was willing to take on the pain and suffering of all of us for our healing. And also, of course, to shed his blood for the penalty of our sins, which is death. Jesus took that penalty upon himself. But he humbled himself and learned by the things that he suffered, learned obedience. And he only lived for 33 and a half years. Some of us take much longer to learn lessons. We may deceive ourselves, we blind ourselves spiritually until something wakes us up. Let's turn to Second Peter 3, verse 8. Second Peter 3 and verse 8. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing with the Lord. One day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, some slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, I have to shake my head when I think back that some of the lessons that I personally have had to learn have taken 20, 30, 40, even 50 years for me to learn certain lessons that I need to learn in order to grow in godly character. I think sometimes God lets some of us live longer because we're not as fast learners. We have to learn lessons the hard way, maybe time and time again. Our circumstances change. Something traumatic may happen to us, and we finally wake up and realize, I need to change that. And I'm sorry that it's taken me some so many years to learn some of those those lessons. But we need to be good students and learn the lasting, lasting lessons of life. The Apostle Peter emphasized that connection with suffering. Turn back to 1 Peter, the fourth chapter. 1 Peter, the fourth chapter, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. I think some of you can identify very quickly with that particular principle. You suffered in the flesh. I don't want to ever do that again. Uh, but other people are masochists, and it takes them maybe three or four times, or maybe they don't learn the lesson and they die. But if we learn the lessons, then we don't have to continue to suffer in that same way. 
I hope we can all learn the lessons from our suffering and our pain. In a recent Charlotte Observer newspaper, the question was asked of, in the Billy Graham column, if God is so loving and powerful, why is there so much evil in the world? This is the number one question that actually uh, was taken by uh, Pat Robertson and uh, Gallup Poll. Top ten questions. Number one, if God is so powerful, why is there so much evil in the world? I think you all know the answers to that question, I hope. November 28, 2004. Dear Billy Graham, is God limited in any way? Are there some things God can't do? I sometimes wonder about this because if God is all-powerful, then why doesn't he stop all the evil things that go on in the world? Signed, M.N. Dear M.N., God is absolutely holy and pure, and there's only one thing God can't do. He can't do anything that is against his nature. That's absolutely right. In other words, the one thing God can't do is sin. Why then doesn't God do something about all the evil in the world? I've asked myself that question hundreds of times, and to be honest, I don't have a full answer. Someday in heaven we will understand, but until then, we can only trust in God's goodness, wisdom, and sovereignty, even when the world seems dark and in the grips of evil. You know the answer. God gave human beings free moral agency. God does not force human beings to do right. He gave that choice, and I won't turn there, but you know it in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. So God has given us that prerogative, and it's the process of choosing. Day after day, are we choosing the godly principles, or are we choosing the selfish, carnal, and lustful way of life? Those are the talent, those are the challenges we face every day. So that is one of the questions that perplex religionists, but we know the answer. We have uh, sermon number 653, Why Suffering? by Mario Hernandez. And then an article based on that, Living Church News, this past summer, July, August 2014, by Mr. Mario Hernandez, Suffering, Endurance, and Eternity. And we have a sermon number 656, The Lasting Lessons of Suffering, and then Dr. Meredith's article in the May-June 2005, Tomorrow's World Magazine, Why Human, Human Suffering. So the short answer to the question is that God has a plan of salvation that involves character building. God wants humans to join his, human, his divine family, but the process requires making choices. And it requires learning lasting lessons of life that will last for eternity. What about those who have died and have not been called? We know the answer, Dr. Meredith's sermon on the last great day, that those who have died because they maybe were innocent victims in the Holocaust, or maybe they were murderers, even like King Herod, But what's going to happen to all of them? Let's turn to Revelation, the 20th chapter. Revelation 20. Again, there is hope for those 
who didn't learn the lessons in this life, and yet died because they insisted on their hardness of heart, insisted on the rebellion of God, insisted on choosing Satan's way of life, and died. But we know in Revelation 20 and verse 12, in the great, great white throne judgment, that the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were open, the Biblia, meaning the Bible, and another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And so we won't have to have time to expound on that at the present time, but you do know that in the general resurrection, there will be those who had suffered and did not learn. Let's turn to Matthew, the 11th chapter, for one example. Matthew 11. So God's plan is awesome. That those who fail to learn the lessons of life in this age will have a chance to learn them in the white throne judgment. And uh, Jesus refers to even the tolerance will be given to Sodom and Gomorrah. Matthew 11 and verse 20. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Cherazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works were done and you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. They should have known better. Here was the Messiah. And many of them knew that it was the Messiah. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. So they will come up in the white throne judgment, and they will still remember the excruciating pain of being burned to death when the fire and brimstone came from heaven and destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you think they'll be teachable? Jesus said it'll be more tolerable for them in the day of judgment than for those who should have known better. There are others in the Bible who taught us, should have taught us, classic lessons so we don't have to learn the hard way. We already saw the vanity of King Herod in the sermonette. Let's turn back to Daniel, the fourth chapter. Daniel 4, another classic lesson of how not to learn. Daniel, the fourth chapter, and verse 25. You know, Daniel warned Nebuchadnezzar. He said, look, you know, God may give you an opportunity if you change your life. Daniel 4, verse 27. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. So he was given a warning. He was given an opportunity not to learn lessons the hard way. But he chose the hard way. And so... In verse 25, Daniel tells him, They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over you, or seven years, till you know. What lesson should you learn? Till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever 
he chooses. So Nebuchadnezzar didn't choose the right way. He had to suffer as a beast, just uh, growling around in the fields for seven years. But did he learn a lesson? Verse 36, God let him come back to his original position after he learned the lesson. Verse 36, Daniel 4. At the same time, my reason returned to me, Nebuchadnezzar writes, and for the glory of my kingdom and my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. Now, here's my lesson I want to share with you, Nebuchadnezzar is writing. I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice. And those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. (laughs) He should have known that ahead of time. But he had to learn the hard way. That those who walk in pride, God is able to put down. Now, you think that his descendant, Belshazzar, would have learned from that dramatic lesson. Nebuchadnezzar roaming as a beast for seven years. And yet, did Belshazzar learn from the lessons of history? You know, the chapter 5, we have the handwriting on the wall. Chapter 5, verse 5. And uh, so Daniel explains to him what lessons he needs to learn. Chapter 5, verse 18. O king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father, or ancestor, a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. And because of the majesty he gave him, all peoples, nations, languages trembled and feared before him. Whoever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set down. Whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and he took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was like with with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. Did Belshazzar learn the lessons of history? But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart Although you knew all this. Sometimes we know certain lessons and yet we insist on going the wrong way. We ought to learn the lessons from Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. And you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. Verse 30, that very night Belshazzar, king of Chaldeans, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom, being about 62 years of age. But we can also learn the lessons of history, reading the lives of ancient kings. The kings of Israel and Judah rarely lived by God's law. Occasionally a king would repent and reform the nation. Might turn to 2 Chronicles, the 26th chapter. 2 Chronicles 26. You may want to review uh, Dr. Douglas Winnell's sermon we heard two weeks ago, Turning Points in History. 
Belshazzar didn't learn the lessons of history. Hopefully, we will. Second Chronicles 26.3 is one of the examples of a king who did what was right, which was fairly rare. Second Chronicles 26, verse 3. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the eternal, God made him prosper. I hope you have that underlined in your Bible. If you don't, it's a lesson for us. As long as he sought the eternal, God made him prosper. So let's learn lasting lessons from our Bible. We need to really read it daily. Nebuchadnezzar had to learn the hard way. Belshazzar should have known better. He did not apply the lessons of history. He repeated the same mistakes. We don't want to repeat the same mistakes. We had an article in Tomorrow's World magazine, Lessons of History, January, February 2007. Quote, what, was, what has our Western world learned from history? My friends, history and the Bible have demonstrated over and over that when nations reject the God of creation, they will be judged. Will our Western world continue its rejection of biblical truth? The philosopher G.W.F. Hegel observed, quote, What experience in history teach us is this, that people and governments never have learned anything from history or acted on principles deduced from it, end of quote. That's from the Philosophy of History, section 2, uh, paragraph 8. I'll read that again. The philosopher Hegel observed, quote, What experience and history teach us is this, that people and governments never have learned anything from history or acted on principles deduced from it, end of quote. But what are the best ways of learning? The best ways of learning are from reading God's Word daily and learning the lessons we've rehearsed, some of them, of course, we've rehearsed here today. We learn from God's Word because it is the source of the mystery of truth, the mystery of the gospel. It gives us the insight into the deep things of God, as it says in 1 Corinthians 2, that through God's Spirit He reveals to us even the deep things of God. We are blessed because God has called us, as we heard in the sermonette, to become kings and priests. And we are in that process of learning, and we ought to enjoy the process of learning because God wants us to experience the abundant life. But there are keys to learning. And I won't even turn to them because you you know them. Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of the eternal is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the eternal is the beginning of wisdom. 2 Timothy 2.15, you might turn back there. So we need that reverence and that godly fear. We know, as it says in Isaiah 66, verse 2, that to this man will I look, to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembles at my word. Those are the best disciples we sang in the uh, hymn. 
By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. A disciple is a student. A disciple is a learner. Second Timothy 2 and verse 15. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So as we study God's word, we want it to be written on our hearts and on our minds. We practice what God gives us. We learn from experience. We learn from the mistakes of others. We learn from our own mistakes. These are wisdom quotes from wisdomquotes.com. Barbara Tuckman states, Learning from experience is a faculty almost never practiced. Douglas Adams, Human beings who are almost unique in having the ability to learn from the experience of others are also remarkable for their apparent disinclination to do so. Ralph Waldo Emerson, life is a succession of lessons which must be lived to be understood. Reminds you of Psalm 111, verse 10, a good understanding have all they that do his commandments. Winston Churchill wrote, it is a good thing for an uneducated man to read books of quotations. So, brethren, what are we going to learn? Are we going to change? Are we going to learn the very character of Christ? Let's turn to Matthew, the 11th chapter. Matthew 11. We need to be transformed into the very image, mind, nature, and character of Christ. That's in Romans 8, verse 29, by the way. Matthew 11, verse 28. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you and learn. Learn from me. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Dr. Meredith gave a sermon last Sabbath, Learn the Mind of Christ. So, brethren, let's be dedicated, committed to changing our lives, to be humble, to learn two true biblical doctrines. We need to practice the way of giving, the way of serving, a whole way of life that Christ exemplified for us. We need to maintain a teachable attitude. We need to maintain that attitude of reverence and godly fear. One final scripture, if we turn to First Peter, the fourth chapter, First Peter 4. And we trust God to create in us His perfect character because we know that as we strive to do His will, He will write His laws on our hearts and on our minds by His Spirit. And we can all do all things through Christ who strengthens us. 1 Peter 4, and verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to Him in doing good as unto a faithful Creator. So when we suffer, we trust God that He's creating in us His perfect character. So pray, brethren, that you can grow spiritually today, that you can learn from your mistakes, you can learn from your lessons, but never stop growing. I was talking to a man recently who was retired, and he said, well, I hope to survive to the end. No, we need to go beyond survival. 
We must never stop growing in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. We must never stop learning lessons. We need to grow in skills. We need to set goals for 2015 and apply the seven laws of success. We need to look forward to the kingdom of God. We need to dedicate ourselves to learning lasting lessons of life. Lessons that will add to your godly character and abundant life forever.